after last message from Psalm 128 about the next generation and God's promises about the next generation. And I made some forceful statements about the olive trees and about trusting in the promise of God. And I said that even if for some of you who have the next generation is in the wilderness, that the Lord somehow, some way, He's going to bring them to Himself. Often, they may be kicking and screaming. Other times, they may be broken, and that brokenness is going to bring them to the Lord. And, and in making that statement, a very precious friend said to me, he said, I know what you're saying is true. I know it is biblical. But what about the pain that goes through watching somebody in a far country in your next generation? I could never question that pain. I certainly understand it. I know that God also understands it. But what I, I want to talk to you about today is how to let that pain help us cling even more tenaciously to the promises of God, and how that pain should lead us on taking hold of the promise of God and pray in faith and never wavering and never giving up. Let me give you an example. In all the years of my ministry, I have seen it again and again and again. Now, I don't build doctrine based on my experience, only on the Word of God. But I've seen it too many times of how these promises of God for parents who walk with God and fear God, how God answers their prayers, even if it takes 50 years. And I'm going to share one example. I could stand here and share many. In the mid-70s, I became a good friend of a, a dear man who we really met then and we became fast friends. But it became apparent to me very quickly that he was going to these social churches uh, where there's really not the preaching of the gospel, and it became apparent that he was never been born again, and yet he will do charitable things and does good things. And, and, but once I became aware of this, I said, God placed me in this man's life for a reason. So I began to pray for him, that he'll become saved, to come to know Jesus. Now fast forward 10 years. I prayed for 10 years. 10 years later, in the mid-'80s, I get a phone call from him, a crisis. And so I said, I'll meet you in one hour. We were meeting together. And I said, before we even talk about your crisis, before we talk about what's breaking you, let me tell you what I prayed for for 10 years, that you would come to know the Lord. And he starts sobbing. He said, I know. The Lord's been speaking to me. I need to surrender to him as my Savior and Lord. And so we knelt, and he repented turned to the Lord, received Him as Savior and Lord of His life, and it was a very emotional time for both of us. And, but then all of a sudden, He began to absolutely weep uncontrollably. When He caught His breath, He said the following. He said, My late mother prayed for this day for as long as I remember. And then He continued to say, Why did I have to to wait till I'm 60 years old to give my life to Christ. Now, at that moment, I said, look, when it comes to the times and seasons, that is way, 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 way above my pay grade. 
Times and seasons are only the prerogative of God alone. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason. And it's really what I want to say today. And it is this. Whether it is praying for the next generation, which is really the focus of this series, or whatever it is in your life, don't ever give up interceding in faith. Don't ever give up interceding in faith for the next generation. You might not even see it in your lifetime. You'll see it from heaven. God will answer that prayer because it's consistent with the Word of God and it's consistent with the character of God. In fact, the Bible gives us many examples of parents who have interceded on behalf of the next generation. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 4, verse 46 to 53. Here, you'll find an example of a father who would not take no for an answer. I know that's an exaggeration, but I'm going to show you this. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. This man perhaps knew or had very little biblical knowledge. We don't know. He may never even understood or known all the theological debates and the biblical debates that are going around, swarming around Jesus. He perhaps did not comprehend fully the universality of the Messiahship of Jesus. He probably did not understand all that should have been understood about the power of Jesus. But he expressed one absolutely unwavering faith in Jesus. He had an immovable faith in who Jesus is and the trustworthiness of Jesus. He had an absolute confident faith that Jesus would fulfill his promise no matter what. He believed Jesus, and he believed in Jesus on behalf of his Son. He believed Jesus on behalf of the next generation. And I pray that this man models for us, models persistence, model unwavering intercession in faith and through faith on behalf of the next generation. Now, remember Enoch I mentioned in the last message? He was 360 years. He walked with God the entire time. And I said the reason he walked is because progress. Imagine progressing in one's walk with God for that length of time. No wonder heaven snatched him without dying. And I was was thinking this week about Enoch again, and, and I thought of how some of situations that I've also been exposed to where parents served as hindrance rather than help to their believing children. Now, I know that, and, and you know that, but I also want to encourage the believing children to pray for their parents and never give up on praying for them. Amen. But I thought about, uh, about what a contrast this man who came in faith trusting Jesus with some of these cynical and skeptical fathers. And I thought of, a, of a one particular person, a, a cynical father, whose son, 18 years of age, was really on fire for the Lord, and, and he had such maturity. And, and uh, one day he came back from church, and, and his father was making fun of him. And, and he said, now what did the preacher say? He said, we learned that Moses sent his soldiers behind enemy's line in Egypt to rescue the Jews from Pharaoh, and uh, that he 
had the engineers build the pontoon bridge. And then he got the people to cross over the waters, over that pontoon bridge. And once they all crossed over, he sent bombers to bomb that bridge. And then the Egyptian tanks start sinking, and the father stopped me and said, now wait a minute, did he really say it that way? He said, no, but if I tell you what he said, you will not believe it. (laughs) I think it was Kierkegaard who once said that the reason it's so hard to believe is because it's so hard to obey. The glorious thing about the Christian faith is that God is the one who gives us saving faith. But then God is also the one who enables us to have daily faith. God is the one who gives us faith in specific times for specific reasons for His glory when we ask Him for it. He gives us the kind of faith that refuses to quit, the kind of faith that never gives up, the kind of faith that is willing to trust in the Word of God, regardless of the circumstances, regardless where everybody else is. And they take God at His Word, and they never move. There was an old-timer that nameless who pinned those, those words together. Let me read them to you. He said, Pray on when rough and dark your pathway, and you cannot see the light. When every spark of hope has vanished, and bright day has turned to night, Pray on, for God doth surely hear you, noting well each sent request. Pray then in faith, truly believing that He always gives what is best. And I want to say amen belongs here. This man came to Jesus in faith. When he came to Jesus, he came in a a mode of what I call crisis faith. It was a crisis that brought him to Jesus. And thank God for this crisis. I know we don't like them, but for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's often an opportunity for the Lord to bring him to himself. For those of us who know the Lord, it presses deeper into his heart. And so this man comes in in crisis faith mode, but he never stayed in that crisis faith like a lot of Christians these days do. He moved from crisis faith to contagious faith all in a period of less than 48 hours. I want to show you right here. Most often when we learn to intercede on behalf of others, our faith begins in a crisis mode. We're desperate, we're urgent, we're in haste, and we cry upon the Lord. And you know what? The Lord welcomes that. But what grace does is this. It uses this crisis faith to help us develop all the way until our faith becomes contagious. Develop faith, not in faith, but in who God is and the faithfulness of God. In the sense, I want to show you in this very incident here, it's like a a five-step letter. It begins with a crisis faith, and it moves from crisis faith to continuing faith. And from continuing faith, it moves to confident faith. And from confident faith, it moves to confirmed faith. And finally, it becomes a contagious faith. Look at verse 46 of John chapter 4. The nobleman came to Jesus in desperation. Now, this man was a member of King Herod's court. I mean, he is somebody. 
And this man, no doubt, had money, had power, had influence, but this crisis brought about this budding faith in Jesus. And the wonderful thing about our Lord, that He welcomed that budding faith. This man implored Jesus. He besought Jesus, come with me, come to my house. He was urging Jesus, and he was persistent in asking Jesus. And on the surface, you look at Jesus' response, you would say, man, he was rebuffing him. Remember, Jesus has the wider audience in mind as well as this man. Verse 48, it's not what he expected. He probably expected Jesus said, okay, let's go, where? But Jesus said, verse 48, he said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. You notice the man didn't even become defensive and said, no, 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 not me. (laughs) Beloved, listen to me. Here's a biblical fact. If you really want to go and grow in your faith, you must be willing to accept the testing of your faith. If you want to grow in faith, you must be willing to accept the testing of faith. And here Jesus was testing this man's faith. And the testing of his faith is for the purpose to know whether this man really trusting in Jesus or just he wants his needs met. Does he have faith in faith like most people in our culture today, or he has faith in Jesus? Does he have a fleeting faith Or does he have continuing faith? Does he have a temporary faith or a permanent faith? Now I can tell you that believing God for the next generation has to move from crisis faith to being continuing faith. Amen? How do you progress in faith like this? By not giving up the moment God does not answer our prayer. Don't give up just because He has not moved on your behalf immediately. Believing God for the salvation of the next generation means that you would not move no matter how long it takes. You stay on, and you stay on. This nobleman's crisis faith gave way to continuing faith. How? Verse 48, when Jesus tried to put him off, (laughs) it would not deter him. As if he never heard what Jesus said. He just moved on, as if to say, my faith is in who you are, and that's not going to be changed. But then he grew from continuing faith to confident faith. Verse 50, Jesus said, you may go your way, your son will live. I think the average person, and remember, this is not a person who's trained theologically. This man is in Herod's court, and he could have said, Now, wait a minute, Lord. I thought that you're going to come and walk with me and and lay hands on on the boy and see the boy. How can I be sure that this is the case? How can I be sure this long way away? Listen, there were no texting. There were no cell phones. There were no calling home to check and say, hey, did it happen? (laughs) It's a long, it's a day's journey almost on a donkey. How can I be sure? Boy is so far away. But he didn't. He didn't. That was a confident faith. Why? Listen to me. (laughs) Because confident faith takes God at His Word. Confident faith trusts God without visible evidence. Confident faith, hang 
on the promise of God. Now, you'd say, my next generation in the far country, hang on the promise of God. They may have gone too far, hang on the promise of God. They may be in total rebellion, hold tight on the promise of God. They may have gone as far as anybody has ever gone. Never mind. You are hanging on God's promise. You know and I know that doubt is the enemy of faith. Right? And every one of us tempted with doubt. Every one of us. But doubt should be only be uprooted as a poisonous weed. <laughs> Don't tolerate it. How? By trusting God by dropping anchor on the promise and be immovable. Please listen to me. The reason so many Christians do not tithe and give offering on top is because they doubt God. They doubt the promises of God. They think if they tithe and if they give offering and they give generously to the work of God, that somehow God is not going to provide for their needs. Years ago, somebody put it this way. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have one and use it regularly. But he should never try to use somebody else's. <laughs> now, to be sure, to be sure, we can model faith to the next generation. I've been talking about modeling in this last uh, two messages. We can model. But sooner or later, they have to own their faith. When crisis faith gives way to continuing faith, it develops into confident faith. And when confident faith is experienced, sooner or later, it will go to confirmed faith. This member of King Herod's court believed God for his next generation. He trusted the Lord's words even when he had no visible evidence, when he could not see it with his eyes, he took Jesus at his word, even when he could not see with his own eyes that it was so. He was so anchored in his trust of the word and the promise of Jesus, so much so that he did not see the necessity to rush home. And I'm going to show you why. I mean, it's right there in the text. He probably went, wherever he went to sleep for that night, and slept like a baby. Let me stop here and remind you of the promise of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14, 15, and 16 makes it very clear that the children of a believing parent in the singular, one parent, are you with me? The children of a believing parent are sanctified in that believing parent. That means that you need to rest at peace and in confidence and in trust that somehow in the economy of God, somewhere in the by and by, that one day in God's timing, your next generation will be brought to the Lord. Hear me right, please. The God who accepted the intercession of Abraham on behalf of his nephew Lot. He is accepting your prayer of intercession. The very God who blessed Solomon because of the prayer of David, he is going to do it on your behalf. When the nobleman 
finally gets home. It's the next day, and it's right there in the text. <laughs> the servant came out to meet him. I try to imagine, knowing that part of the world, I try to imagine these guys probably stayed all night at the gate, <laughs> waiting for the boss to come home. <laughs> and they were probably saying to themselves, man, <laughs> the boss is not going to believe what happened. I mean, the boss is not going to believe when we tell him the news. When he sees what happens, he's going to jump for joy. Most likely, they were so excited, they didn't sleep all night waiting for him to come back <laughs> while he was sleeping like a baby. So when he comes home, he asks, Are you sure this has happened? Where's the boy? I want to see it with my own eyes. No. He only asked one question. One question. What time did it take place? Boss man, what difference does it make what time it happened? Oh, it makes all the difference in the world. Because this is not a coincidence. This is not happenstance. This is not an accident. This is not luck. It happened the moment the promise was made by Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, beloved, when Christ's faith gives way to continuing faith, and continuing faith develops into confident faith, it produces confirmed faith. And somehow God will confirm it. But then confirmed faith naturally leads to a contagious faith. Ask yourself the question, is my faith really contagious? Look at verse 53. When the nobleman confirmed the moment the miracle took place, the Bible said, so he and all, can you say all? all. His household believed. Listen to me. If I know anything about the Word of God, I know that God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, that God loves to work with multiple generations, that God loves to bless multiple generations, that God loves to deal with multiple generations, that God wants to bless whole households, even to the third and the fourth generation. And that is why Believing God on behalf of the next generation is not an option for the believer. It is not an option. In the book of Acts, whenever the, the head of the household was baptized, the entire family was baptized. The babies were baptized. The servants were baptized. Okinos, go and read it. It's the entire household. And you see it again and again in the book of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the very first Gentile to be converted. He and his household were baptized. In Acts 16, it was the Philippian jailer and his whole household. In the book of Acts 16 again, Lydia and her entire household, all baptized, come into the faith as a covenant with family. Now, these kids have to own their faith when they grow up. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can inherit faith. That would be absolute heresy. They will come to a point. But your absolutely unwavering faith, as you set that olive tree right when it was a little tiny tree, it will grow. It will take 15 years before it gets, gives good berries, but it will grow. And it will last for 20 generations. You can believe God for the next generation. 
The question is, will you? Will you? Will you believe God and move from crisis faith to continuing faith to confident faith to confirmed faith to contagious faith? I believe the Lord longs for that. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God. We thank you that we have seen and experienced your faithfulness. Your word tells us about your faithfulness. But then how many times have we experienced it to even doubt it? But in our foolishness at times, we do fall in those doubt temptations. Forgive us, our Father, and I pray that this moment be a moment of faith in which our faith will grow from wherever it may be to being a contagious faith. For, Father, we pray in the matchless name of the one who hung on the cross but then rose victoriously, defeating death in the grave, the name that's above every name, Jesus, in whose death and resurrection we will celebrate and give thanks for because that death and resurrection gave us life and gave us confidence and gave us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.